0: Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is the recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged as you listen to this. Enjoy. Well, we are doing doing Cultivate Joy this morning. And so I thought it was far easier to cultivate a little bit of joy from the get-go if we all had a bit more sugar in our system. Uh, so that is my motivation for doing that. Uh, if, you are, if you're in need of a little more joy, my advice would be take two. Um, but we'll, we'll go for it. Some of us maybe need a lot more joy and we just need to fill our hands. I don't know. That is, that is between, uh, between you and Jesus this morning. Um, but like I said, we're going to do Cultivate. We're going to continue with our series on Cultivate this morning. Uh, and Jesus told a story often referred to as the, the parable of the sower, Uh, And the story goes like this, is a farmer went out to sow seed and he's throwing it around as he walks and uh, throwing it everywhere. Some of it goes on a path and is eaten. Uh, Some of it lands in a rocky place and can't take root. Uh, Some of it lands amongst thorns and weeds and the life is choked out of it. Uh, And yet some of it lands on good soil and it produces miraculous results. And Jesus goes on to to explain that the the seed is the good news, the gospel, the kingdom of God. And it's the quality of the soil, the nature of the soil, that depends or determines what is able to take root and to flourish. And so in this Cultivate series, we're talking about what it means to cultivate that good soil in our lives to make sure that, uh, that what is in us, that the ground prepared in our hearts for the, for the good news, for the gospel of Jesus, is ready to receive and to act, and that our desire, would we would see that miraculous harvest, that multiplication that comes from receiving his word in the right way. And so we're talking about joy. How many of you are joyful people? My daughter has walked into the room. Her middle name is Joy. The, I think she's heard chocolate and so she's here. Now she's wondering what's going on and won't leave unless chocolate is distributed equitably. Uh, how, sorry, quick show of hands again, I got distracted. Joyful people in the room, let me see you. Now I'm not going to ask the, the less joyful people to raise their hands as well because that's okay. Um, but let me ask, are you, are you a joyful person? Do other people, maybe more importantly, if you say to the person next to you, do you think I'm a joyful person? Don't ask if you don't want an honest answer. But let me ask, do you, do you wish you were a more joyful person? Some of, us, some of us being miserable is our thing, and we're like, well, you know, I've, I've, I've developed a character and a lifestyle about, about being a bit of a misery, and, and I'm not ready to, to be dislodged from that. But I think most of us would say, I would like to be a more joyful person. I would like more joy in my life. I would like that to be, to be the default setting of my existence. That that rather than just kind of frustration and disappointment and angst and anxiety, uh, that joy would be the prevailing experience of my time on earth. And I found this quote from um, American author uh, Walter Wangreen, Jr. And he says, The difference between shallow happiness and a deep, sustaining joy is sorrow. And I can remember reading those words and thinking, hang on a minute, I think he's, I think he's missed the point and We're talking about joy. The difference between shallow happiness and deep, sustaining joy is sorrow. He says happiness lives where sorrow is not. Wherever sorrow arise, uh, arises, happiness dies. It can't stand pain. And the truth is so much of of our lives and so much of our society is focused on being as happy as possible and therefore avoiding pain or sorrow wherever it can. He says joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow and therefore can withstand any grief. Joy, by the grace of God, is the transfiguration of suffering into endurance and of endurance into character and of character into hope and the hope and, that, uh, and the hope that has become our joy does not, as happiness must for those who depend on it, disappoint us. Church, do you believe that God wants you to be joyful? It's 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 a serious question because sometimes we go well, well. You could go well based on the evidence of my life. I'm not so sure right now. We can we can question that from time. But church, I want to I want to reaffirm this morning God's desire for you genuinely, right now in whatever season you are in is deep joy. And the reason we can be confident of that is because our understanding is that joy is not dependent on our circumstances. Very, very intentionally, I believe, with that author there, that, that joy is, is not only capable, but, but, but excels in rising from sorrow. And so the question we should rightly ask this morning is, how do we do it? How do we not only start doing it, but keep doing And how do we do it when life is just hard? And I want to state again right at the start that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And We've mentioned this a couple of times before, that, that when the fruit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit grows, when it is connected to the good soil, that when we're connected to the true vine, that we don't work on being more uh, loving or patient or, or, or joyful or kind or enduring or any of those. We don't actively work on those things. These are the things that happen when we stay connected to our Savior that it is at its core a gift that comes from God and is magnified when the roots of your life go deep down into him. So let's get going. We're going to start to cultivate joy. I want to, st- I want to talk a little bit about sparking joy. When, when you're starting a fire, you know, you can prepare uh, the wood, you can get all the, the, the bits going, you can douse it in, in lighter fluid, whatever it is, however you get your fire going. But what it needs to ignite it is a spark. And what I want to talk about firstly is just how do we start to spark joy in our life. And the first one I want to say is this, and I think some of the best advice I've ever been given for my own walk with Jesus and my spiritual formation is to preach to myself more than I listen to myself. Preach to yourself more than you listen to yourself. In the spirit of full honesty, I can be a miserable human being. I am prone to cynicism, I am prone to negativity, uh, I sulk far too much for someone of my age, I don't need you nodding quite as much as you are. But the truth is, that's that, that is sometimes it feels like that is my default setting that I constantly need to fight against. But I know the truth and you know the truth, that is not the way it has to be. In fact, I believe that God calls me not to be that way. And the way that he looks for me, as, as for all of us, to overcome these things within us that we don't want but find they cling on to our heart and our mind and our souls is we are to, to, to declare his goodness to ourselves. That We are to declare the truth of who God is and what he says to ourselves on a regular basis. How, how often, if, if a close friend comes to you and says, I just feel rubbish, I'm just, I'm just a terrible person. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making a mess of everything. Do we sit there and go, yes, I've always thought this, but I've never been brave enough to tell you? Listen, if anyone does that, they are not a friend. You kick them out of your life, all right? That's, that's, we encourage them. We, say, we, we speak truth. We don't lie to them. We don't say, no, you're the most wonderful person and there's nothing wrong with your life. We speak truth into them and into their situation. We affirm the good that is there, that we see, that we value in them, and we speak that out into them. We don't lie to them. We don't, we don't tell them things that aren't true, but we speak truth into that situation. And that is what God longs for us. to. That's what part of the reason he gives us his word is we declare the truth into our lives. We preach to ourselves rather than listening to that nagging voice that tells you you're not good enough, you're worthless, nobody likes you, nobody loves you. We don't listen to ourselves so much as we preach to ourself. Church, let me encourage you to get into to the habit of waking up and telling yourself, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Or, or with the great words of Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. Church, spark joy by declaring what is true as regularly as you can. Another thing I think is important for sparking joy is, is valuing simplicity. Uh, I have not got a great re- uh, relationship with mess. I am by nature a messy person. Now, I've got the, the, the advantage of being able to blame four children on that mess. But the truth is, if you knew me before I had kids, I was messy then and I am messy now. I've just got a good reason. I don't know if it's just, I just hate tidying or whether I'm naturally disorganized or what, but that is just me. But what I've discovered is my life is genuinely happier, my relationships are more harmonious, and my mind is more at ease when my house is clear and tidy. So there's a constant battle in my existence in, between being, feeling settled, and having to tidy. I've got a, So I found this picture. I just, this is not my house, just, just. but what I do want to say is most, most of the pictures that I look to use on a Sunday morning are all kind of um, free of any kind of creative licensing, so they're all kind of open, um, open to use anyway. They're available online, there are no restrictions on them. And I just think I, I had to zoom into this picture because there was a gentleman in this picture just kind of standing there looking out over this room. Uh, this image is, is in the public domain. And there's this guy, and this is his house, and this is what it looks like, and it's in the internet, it's there forever for everybody to see. And I just thought, that could be me. How, how awful. <laughs> is your life, is your heart or your soul too cluttered for joy? Think, think about that for a moment. With everything that you've invited in, with all that you squeeze in to your life, is there too much going on emotionally, physically, spiritually? Is there space to enjoy and to really value the things that matter most? How many of you co- uh, have come across uh, Mary Kondo? Quick show of hands. I just want to know how much explanation I have to give to this one. Marie 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 Abby was Mary Kondo before. <laughs> Mary Connors, she's a professional tidier-upper. I don't know what the official title is, but she's written books. She's got TV shows about just tidying. She is a tidying expert, and um, what I love about her philosophy of tidying is, it is she kind of brings people to ask this question: Does this item bring you joy? And if it doesn't, you throw it away. You thank it. You thank the item for its service. And you retire it eternally. And, um, which, is, which is funny, because if I actually followed that approach, I would not have any socks. <laughs> but the idea is... The the idea is you eliminate it based on whether it actually brings any, any internal value to your existence. And, and the idea there is, is, so often, there's so much in life to be joyful. The whole purpose of that exercise that she gets people to do is there are things within their house that they truly treasure, that they love, that, that, that provoke a response within them that is meaningful and valuable, and yet it is just lost under so much rubbish. Church, there is so much about life to be joyful for, but we are overwhelmed with all the other things that we've accumulated. And I found found Jesus asking me as I prepared this week, is your life too cluttered to find joy in me? Is the space taken up with other things? thinking of Jesus' parable of the sower, has God's word fallen on soil that is filled with weeds and with thorns and there is just no space for it to take root. As followers of Jesus, I think simplicity is a powerful thing. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, the the, the apostle encourages the church to, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Not an uneventful one, but one one that is not filled with, with noise and with chaos and with nonsense. So much of the teaching of Jesus drives us towards valuing things that matter most and casting aside those things that are utterly fruitless. It was Brother Lawrence who said, We should simply develop an attitude of faith, hope, and love. We need not be concerned about anything else. It simply is not important. And should only be regarded as a means of getting to the final goal of being eternally lost in the love of God. Church, stop filling your life with junk and move towards the one that focuses, move towards goals that focus on the things that really matter. Stop overcomplicating life. Build Sabbath routines that provide that breathing space for your soul. Again, we talk a lot about Sabbath at the moment. I think it is so vital for for cultivating joys that we intentionally make space on a weekly basis to do things that that bring and cultivate joy in our life. Let me encourage you. Make, Make Sabbath simple. Don't fill it with loads of stuff. Make it a time in which you declare the goodness and the truth of God. But also build connections of joy. Build connections of joy and let the roots go deep into something that sustains. Take a moment to tell the person next to you, if you can think of something, you've got 30 seconds, something that you love to do, just something that you love doing. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter, you know, so long as you're happy to tell them. Don't tell them you, know, you, love, you love starting fires or something because it's something you love doing. Good. You can continue those conversations afterwards, particularly if they've got, listen, if you, if you find people that love doing the same things, uh, I think so often uh, joy is magnified when you, when you collectively share in something that you love. If you find people who love doing the same things, do those things together. But most importantly, let me encourage you to identify the good and the godly things that bring you joy and reflect the way that God has made you to be. There, there are things that are unique about you, just, just who God has made you to be through your life, through your character, through your experiences, just through that innate uh, nature that God has given you. These are things that are unique to you, and you worship God when you do those things well. Identify those good and godly things and see how they reflect who God has made you to be. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. That God puts good things in your life to be enjoyed. Root your joy in heavenly things. Find God in these good pleasures and savor them. Build them into your Sabbath routines. Let me encourage you, if you've got some time over the next few days, stop, write a list of things that you love doing, just things that you you derive an incredible sense of satisfaction and pleasure out of. Write a list. Let me encourage you, make it a priority to do as many of those things as is reasonable on a Sunday. I like enjoying a good, uh, a good um, glass of wine or a beer. I, I have coffee on a Sunday morning. I, I love to have some kind of pastry with a lot of sugar on it. I like to spend time in my hammock. I like to read a book. This is, this is what I try and fill my Sabbath with, things that I enjoy, things that are good for me to do, things that I, I, I know that I can connect a sense of value in God, in pleasure in Him as I engage in those things. Find God in those pleasures. Build them into your routine. See God in these things and allow them to be acts of worship. As a child, I did not enjoy standing up in church and singing. Just to be honest with you, I know my son is the same. I struggle to encourage him to do it. And I think, well, maybe, you know, maybe one day, son, you might actually enjoy doing this. But, you know, I see myself in him. And at 10 years old, I had no interest in singing songs. You know, I was okay with Jesus, but I wasn't a big fan of standing and singing. And the idea that, you know, one day, you know, when when someone would get up and say, heaven is going to be just like this, I'd be like, please, Lord, no. (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) I think even at 10 years old, I'd rather rather be kneeling than worship. But what I'm saying is, is it's not that I still feel like that, but but actually the, the connection with God, the true worship is something that ignites our passions. It ignites our souls. It connects us to God in that deep and powerful way. It is not just singing. It is singing. It is not just singing. So let me tell you, when you eat a good meal, and you acknowledge the goodness of our Savior, that is worship. When you sit and you feel the breeze on your face when you are out for a work, and you just enjoy that moment of, of relief and refreshing, that is an act of worship. Church, find those things from which you derive an immense amount of godly pleasure, and do those things as an act of worship. Corinthians 1 uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you, So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I want us to cultivate joy in all things. I can, I can remember encouraging a church congregation, not here, uh, re- encouraging a church congregation with the words of 1 Corinthians 10.31 to do all things, in in all that we do, to bring that sense of glory to God in our actions. And a lady came up to me at the end, and she thanked me for my message and said, it just sounds a little bit exhausting, though. And her thinking was that you had to be actively, consciously, at all times looking to do everything. So when I step forward, I've got to step intentionally to the glory of God, that everything we do had to be a physical action that was bringing glory to God. And yes, that does sound exhausting. But I believe this verse is not about the intensity and intention of our action so much as it is about the intention of our attitude. I'd like to recommend, happily recommend a book that actually Jack recommended to me, uh, Tish Harrison Warren, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. If you love reading, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So so, so simple, so real, so grounded and practical. And she references a sign in a monastery kitchen that says, everybody wants to start a revolution, but nobody wants to do the dishes. And I love that idea. I love the simplicity. is that everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to get their hands dirty doing something about it. No one wants to do the, 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 the boring, the unglorious, the mundane activities. And yet, church, when done to the glory of God, washing the dishes becomes revolutionary. When our heart and our attitude is grounded in God's kingdom and God's glory, then even scrubbing dishes becomes an act of significance. Judge how we treat people that we don't know, how we deal with the, the difficult task in our day, how we drag ourselves out of bed to deal with that unexpected challenge, we have the opportunity to choose. I can Do even this to the glory of God. Let me encourage you. When we get ourselves in that attitude, when we cultivate and build that attitude, it changes the way we deal with challenges. In that same book, uh, Tish Warren goes on to say, Our task is not somehow to inject God into our work, but to join God in the work he is already doing through through our vocational lives. I can remember when my youngest son used to have this box of blocks uh, all with different shapes cut out into it and you know, you'd get the circles and you put it in the circle shape and you'd get the, the triangle and would go in the triangle shape and you get the stars and the, the squares and the hexagons and so on and so forth. And as little kids often do, they don't want to play the game as it's intended, and it's probably a metaphor for the human condition. Um, and, and so what he wanted to do, he wanted to improvise, and I would find my son hammering circles into triangles just, just because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make it fit where he wanted it, and so by force put it in a place that he wanted it to be. And, and church, I think we can spend so much energy trying to fit God into the parts of our lives that we think he belongs Kind of forcing him into the places that that we want him to be or we allow him to occupy. Church, did you know that Jesus never said, how can I be more compatible with your schedule? Did he say that? Does anyone's, if you've got a different translation and it says that, I'd love to see it. Mine doesn't say that. Mine, Mine says, come and follow me. In fact, when I read mine a little bit further, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't say, squeeze me in where you can. I'm okay with that. Jesus says, come and walk with me, and I will make you into something else. When the Apostle Paul writes into the church in Philippi, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. I'll say it again. He has to say it twice. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Paul instructs the church to rejoice. And I've always found this curious. How can he do that? Can I just tell you right now, rejoice. And you can go, well, Luke, I don't feel like it. I was like, well, rejoice, rejoice anyway. Like, where, does it, where does it come from? How can he instruct that of the church? And I think what he means is is find the joy despite the situation. To look for it, to ask God for it, to cultivate it and keep it. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is always something that we can reach for as a source of joy. And let's focus on just one of the bigger ones. It's cultivate joy in all things because God is with you. I don't know about you, but one of the most comforting things I've found from those near and dear to me, from friends and family in tough times, is not having people provide answers to my problems, not people coming in to, to say how they can fix what's going wrong, but people simply saying, I'm here for you. Which is funny because you'd sit back and you'd hear that and you think, well, that doesn't change anything. You were here Anyway. Like The situation is exactly the same. How on earth can that help anything? I'm here for you. They may not do anything more than that, but knowing it certainly for me makes a significant difference. I'm here for you. I'm with you. I'm on your side no matter what. I'm standing alongside you. If you need me, I am there in an instant. I am right there with you. Church, God is with you. Let that that sink in for a moment. God is with you. He is for you. The the Apostle Paul writes in in Romans 8, he says, "What, what then shall we say in response to these things? He's just been talking about the difficulties and the struggles and the sufferings of life. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you might say, well... How can we be sure that he's for us? And he, he, pre, he preempts that question. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And, and Paul is saying if, if you doubt that God is with you and God is for you, just look at Jesus. He says he gave Jesus the most precious thing God had to give. He gave him up for us. And so if we can be confident that God has done that in Jesus for us, how can we not be confident that God will give us everything else that we need? He goes on to say, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword He says, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. He says, no, in all these things, in what things? In in the famine, in in the death, in the persecution, in the hardship. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And church, Paul goes to great lengths to demonstrate to that church that God is not only with them, but God is for them. And the fact that Paul's list includes all these hardships and these persecutions kind of just goes to underline that this was the church's experience. This this is what they were going through. Paul wasn't writing them to say, if you're going through difficult times, it's probably because God has given up on you, and you should give up as well. Paul is saying, if you're going through difficult times, be confident that God is with you through every single moment. Nothing can dislodge you from the love that he has. Church, if you are going through absolute hell right now, God is with you. If you cannot see a way out yet, God is with you. If you are barely holding on, my friends, God is with you. God is with us, and that means his love and his power is at work within us. Earlier in that that same letter, in Romans 5, Paul says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, can I encourage you, cultivate joy in all things because God is with you, including in your trials. Nothing can dislodge us from God's love. And church, that doesn't, that, doesn't av- uh, that doesn't answer every problem, that doesn't resolve every conflict, that doesn't do away with every tension, but what it does do is it, it gives us something to anchor our lives in. How do we answer the question, how do we find joy when life is unbearable? There's this powerful verse in, in Habakkuk chapter three, three seventeen to nineteen. It says, "Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine; though the olive oil crop, f- uh, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit; though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and be, jo- uh, be joyful in God my Savior." The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet feel uh, like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Church, in your trial, in your difficulty, joy can be possible, but only in one way, and that is that we stick close to Jesus. We hang on to him. When everything looks impossible, we remind ourselves that he is able to work even this for good. Even this for something that is worth it. Even this for something that is beautiful. Even this for something that is valuable. And, and to say that is a complete act of faith. Because so often when, when life is absolutely at its worst, when we are knocked over and the, the, the worst has taken place, we go, how can we even speak of God using this for good? Church, we don't say he will undo the bad that has happened. But we do believe that out of the brokenness, he longs to bring life. That out of the mourning, he longs to bring dancing. There was a verse that was, was particularly important to me and Soph when uh, very early into our marriage, we discovered that we, we, we couldn't have children and, and, and all those hopes and those expectations and that excitement seemed to just evaporate. And, uh, and in God's, God's mercy and grace, he brought two wonderful children into our life. And the, the, the passage, this psalm became incredibly important to my, my reflection on God's goodness through a season of trial and difficulty. It's psalm 30, and I'll read you 8 to 12. He says, To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. Is so says, what is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And I want to stress that, that, that sometimes our stories look like that, that God uses tragedy to do something beautiful. And, and, and sometimes that takes a very long time. Sometimes that takes an entire lifetime. And we don't see the fullness of what God was doing and the good that God was investing and the promises that God was establishing this side of heaven. Sometimes we experience it. We see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Sometimes we need to wait a little longer, but it is always an act of faith. Church, I'm going to end with, with this. This is a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. He says, if you want joy, power, peace, peace, Eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. They are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just hand out to anybody. Joy is cultivated by being with Jesus. Church, I want to pray very, very simply and I want us just to, to wait a moment and reflect. But I'm going to say, Lord, we, we look to you. Dear God, each, each one of us is in their own season right now. Each one of us has, has our own challenges, our own difficulties to face. Lord, some of, us, some of us may be in that season or sea of joy right now, but for, for many of us, Lord, I am sure there's difficulty even with entertaining the idea of joy. And Lord, my, my prayer would be, Lord, as we as we simply wait for you in this moment, that Lord, you would begin to, to cultivate that joy in our hearts. That Jesus, it wouldn't be subject to our circumstances right now, but Lord, in this moment as an act of faith, of an act of trust, of a as the action of leaning into you in spite of our circumstances. That Jesus, you wouldn't, you wouldn't leave us ab- abandoned in that moment. But Lord, we would, we would lay hold of something so much deeper, so much richer, so much more valuable than we could ever have imagined. Jesus, let us, let us know the depth of your love and your commitment to us. That even in our difficulty, your desire is for our joy. I thank you for this truth. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, please visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.